This is Moss Whelan and Story in Mind. So I'm just getting out for the walk. It is the uh, middle of the day. It's noon. <clears throat> out the gate of perception. Leaves have started falling. Just a bit. And, uh... Little leaves. Not not the big stuff. It's overcast. Topic is puppets. Uh... I've, I've used puppets, sock puppets, to create content. And... I just watched the uh, Age of Resistance Dark Crystal series on uh, Netflix, and it's great. I I was worried that they had shifted over to CGI. I I had seen the uh, trailer just briefly. I think it might have been a teaser trailer. That I was say, oh no, you know they're shif- they're moving away from the good stuff. But in fact, it's all real puppets, um, and and obviously the the CGI is the say the fantasy world, the setting, uh, and not all of it because say the puppets are in environments. And then I guess they've they have a green screen for the the larger surrounding environment, but very cool, and uh, if you haven't seen it, they're going back. Uh, there's a lot of there's a lot that is familiar, and. I think there's a bit more explanation. The big development is with these characters, these sort of elfin fairy characters called the Gelflings. And that's where we get um, most, the most development. I think. But very cool uh, to be moving around we we do get around this fantasy world and we of the dark crystal uh, just trying to remember if there was one sort of large flying sort of aquatic creature that was actually flying and uh, some of the one Gelfling tribe uses it as a way of getting around. It's the feeling is kind of like, say, sandworms, because it's in a desert, so it's very sort of dune. It's you know, we're okay, we're having a dune moment. Um, part of my feeling as I was watching it, was I said, oh, is this a commentary on, you know, the, the current rise of fascism? Again. Uh, and irregardless, you know, it's packed with uh, great, sort of great feeling, great... Uh, great emotion and back to the topic uh, with puppets so we get a lot of we get say we get a lot yeah we get a lot through inanimate and of course they are animate um, 
they're not alive. They're, it's not actors. It's interesting to say that we can do that. We can, we can create something with even with CGI. We can, we can animate something to the point where, it, it seems real. You know, we'll be looking at a flat screen. We're sitting there in the dark and watching this screen and actually feeling things for this, you know, for the things that are going on on this screen. And that sort of sends me back to the storyteller who's, who's able to tell a story and people are moved, they're experiencing this. Uh, and it's not actually happening, it's, it's being imagined. And two, it's, it's not just puppets, it's a, it's a mix. Because the, um, in Dark Crystal, these characters called the Skeksis. Uh, and there's another group attached to them. But they're sort of, they're in costumes, and the, uh, the, the puppet side of it is an animatronic mask. So say the eyes move and there's uh, expressions that are made that are uh, remote control. So I think I actually uh, went to the original show, the... Uh, the Dark Shadows, uh, Dark Shadows, um, Dark Crystal, the Dark Crystal movie that I went to that yeah and it was oh, it was confusing, overwhelming I think would be a, a good word so watching it and having to um, immerse myself in it just because it was so different and so uh, so strange some things were familiar the art like or say the there's this illustrator uh, who I know that they had worked from the art um, who had done there's this book called Fairies that the artist has uh, the artist had put out. And so they were drawing from that, but uh, they were also creating uh, new creatures, the, the Skeksis. Another, another thing I remembered, and I was reminded reading an article, was that there were going to be no humans uh, in the show. Uh, on one on one level, it didn't do that great at the box office, but on another level, it didn't matter. It's become part of the the lexicon, it, part of the fantasy um, SFF experience. Watching this new show, there were moments where. Say so it was sort of like fill fill in the blanks things like uh, the Skeksis had uh, come from outer space. They had traveled through space to get here. So it it truly does. It's, it truly is SFF. There's a science fiction element to it. That I didn't really pick up uh, in in the original movie. <clears throat> but we're talking about puppets. So why did I use sock puppets? And why am I still using sock puppets?
I'm planning to do a video uh, for the local convention. Kind of an update. And I've had fun with this uh, one sock puppet, uh, the unicorn. So the plan is to do this little video and uh, content. And it's this cross-promotion, right? I'm, I'm promoting myself, my brand, what I do, and, but I'm also promoting the, the local convention. Synergy, right? That's the hope. So, uh, why do that? There's this interesting thing that happens. Um, I've have seen there was a I've seen a couple ventriloquists talking about this. It's it's like a connection to the subconscious that say the puppet you give license to the puppet. The puppet is able to be say do uh, the things that you are not supposed to, that you're not capable of, uh, that you, you know, you filter and you constrain. But the, uh, the puppet, uh, can do these things. Uh, and I was, I was practicing this the other day. The unicorn was not even there, but I was just sort of using the voice and having this conversation. And and too, it's it's interesting to say that that that's the character that I choose. That's the sock puppet, you know, because there's a bunch of sock puppets, and I I was thinking even of just taking a black sock and uh, doing a video about the shadow and kind of playing with the notion of the old radio show pulp um, pulp fiction of the shadow you know the the sh- what is it the weed of crime bears bitter fruit crime does not pay and that there would be this voice kind of like the shadow Lamont Cranston was the name I think <clears throat> It's interesting and weird, too, growing up with criminals and being surrounded with so much that was against criminals, like, say, comic books and radio shows. There's this uh, sort of compare and contrast. Anyways, so the... Uh, the unicorn uh, sock puppet becomes the most relevant. And it makes sense because it's a uh, SFF convention. Science fiction, fantasy. More on the fantasy side. Which makes sense for me because that's, that's my leaning. But I do like my science fiction. And I and I find it interesting the things that that the sock puppet says, and I'm you know thinking about say the voice choosing like say or say that the the character chose uh, yeah. I think for me I find. I find it the most amusing of, of the sock puppets. And, and that's probably why I go back to it. I think I've done three little videos 
with the sock puppet of the unicorn. And one was just talking about unicorns, and that's how it started. And then I did a uh, a reading of the first chapter, and then I did a a little um, a little video for a book. It was a, a pop-up book sale to raise money for the local convention. And, and too, now I'm thinking of, it's like, oh, well, you know, let's do it again. So it's fun, it's fun for me. I, I find it, find it interesting. But not planned. I didn't sit there and have this glorious strategy. Into, I think it came out of this notion of interviewing. Uh, after the book got published, I, I, I sent some letters. See, let's say the characters had written letters, and I read those uh, on the video, and then and then that led to interviewing the characters that is oh yeah I can <clears throat> I can try that oh. and two so easy and accessible it's a it's a part of it's a part of the uh, experience the culture the experience there's an element of the, the clown to the to the puppet and a function of the clown in every culture, every society, is like the jester. Uh, keep keeping keeping people in check and put sort of sowing the seed of I wanna say doubt, but I mean I mean more kind of rationalization. I don't know if you grew up with um, the Muppets or uh, Sesame Street, but there was always that element to the characters. They would always be undermining, undermining authority, but more in the sense of uh, keeping keeping people real. And there was this sort of self-examination that was always going on. Um, talking about important things and we and we got a whole spectrum of characters uh, characters that were very chaotic characters that were angry characters that were um, goofy characters that were smart characters that were um, sly self-obsessed, on and on and on. And if, if not in Sesame Street, uh, which, 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 which was definitely for kids, then, def- then in the Muppets, you know, you really got to see this uh, variety. But there's always this sense of critique that's going on with with the puppets, and I, I think that that was happening in the um, documentary I saw. It was a female ventriloquist in the UK, and it was talking about um, her history, her relationships. Um, ultimately, she was taking of a, a, a dummy. And I'm not sure if that's <laughs> the politically correct term. I think there might be. I think it might be puppet. But uh, let's let's do that. So she's taking the puppet to uh, a museum, this sort of final resting place for um, 
ventriloquists uh, who have passed away, you know, that their puppets can be go and have this kind of um, resting place. And, and so it was interesting, sort of, as she's sort of making this trip, you know, she's talking about her, her past and her relationship with this mentor and a bit of legacy. Uh, it was pretty interesting stuff. I think this uh, museum was in the United States, so it was leaving the UK and uh, making this trip and, and going also into the history of uh, ventriloquism. So they had all kinds of famous um, puppets there. So now I'm just thinking about Jim Henson. I had an experience when I was uh, writing, when I was editing actually, getting really close to being finished with my book. And there was, um, there was this song. And it was actually written by someone outside of, um, I can't remember the name, but it's a recording artist. And it might have been a couple people that had come up with this song. Uh, and I, it's Rainbow Connection. And I think it's at the end of the Muppet movie. But I went back to it, and I went through the lyrics, and unpacked it, looked at the meaning, like say what what it's saying. Very cool, because it has literary references. Um, literary references, symbolism. And so I was uh, holding on to that. And, but also say that there's this importance. And I, I'd like to think, too, that the, the puppets in the sense of the connection with the subconscious, that, that they are keeping us real. Or um, people who embody that spirit. Uh, comedians, say, who are doing things, behaving in a way that we're not supposed to, but we actually relish. We want to see somebody who is living out uh, the living out the things, being the thing that we're not supposed to. Uh, that we can't, just socially, it just doesn't work. But we need that, you know, that hit of chaos from somewhere. Just recently I returned to the Goon Show, which is this, I think it's BBC uh, radio, definitely British, definitely radio. And uh, if you haven't heard it, so this would be, I think it started in at least the 50s, 1950s, and there's three core comedians, uh, one of them is Peter Sellers, um, and there, there were others, there were at least four at one time, maybe five, but they have, uh, they're doing voices, they're doing characters, lots of puns, very silly, uh, and yet serious, all of the characters are, usually, they're serious about this very silly stuff. Uh, and playing with ideas. But also there's this, there's this element of, of chaos 
and uh, ridiculousness. So why should that be important? I guess I guess it's just it's all really ridiculous, ultimately, uh, and you know we give it purpose. So I'm talking life, and we we make it uh, we make it important. But but also comedy, levity, ridiculousness, that that's part of it. That there's that there's got to be some kind of balance. Things can't be grim twenty four hours a day. And you know, you might not go in for uh, grown ups, comedians, uh, puppets. That's where I'm getting back to puppets. Um, because, you know, it's serious, it's serious. But then, say, that you might read... I'm just trying to think of... There's a Canadian author who... I think it's Canadian. Who's, who's writing... It's Stephen... Uh, I'm going to butcher the last name. I want to say Stephen Leacock, but... A- anyways, so it's... It's comedy. Another one is... It's a, it's a radio show. I think it's something like Lake Wobegon. And similar, say, situation where you have people... It's, it's comedic. It's strange because there's tragic elements to that radio show, uh, which is more current. Stephen Gleacock would be is literature from a hundred years back, but Lake Wobegon is more contemporary. I don't know if I'm getting the title right. It, some it's something about like vinyl cafe, and. I've heard of I've heard not a lot, but I've heard a few radio shows where once again we have uh, characters that we keep returning to. One suspects that it's the the announcer's um, family, family friends, sort of drawing from real life. It has that quality. Right, that he's talking about people that he knows, um, but also there's this familiarity. And if only we could sort of inject our own lives with this sense of humor. Now I'm thinking about Ray Harryhausen, who was doing stop motion, yeah, stop motion animation. This pre um, predecessor to animatronics, which is uh, remote controlled uh, puppets that say we we are getting more um, that they are becoming more lifelike. But Ray How- Harryhausen was uh, doing them the stop motion in movies so we'd get dinosaurs I remember uh, at least one Sinbad Sailor movie but I know there's many others and he was uh, bringing these still figures uh, to life you know, slowly moving them frame by frame uh, until they came alive. And it's it's an interesting thing to, to watch them. And I, I remember it was easier to let go and to allow these monsters, usually they were monsters, 
to suspend disbelief. Uh, whereas, whereas now, it, it's more just sort of uh, interest. That said, uh, we still have movies with stop-motion animation. There's a there's a kind of, there's an element of a flavor to these. Uh, I think in this sense they would be called dolls with uh, joints, and you're able to manipulate uh, sort of you know facial expression and things. But there's this uh, quality that a kind of kind of roughness that has this uh, appeal. It's not. Perfect, and that's the point. I went and saw a CGI movie. Um, I, th- I think it was The Lion King. So they redid um, an animated movie with CGI computer animation, and I I, I would have moments where I thought. The, the animals, you know, were trained, <laughs> trained, you know, maybe, maybe they couldn't actually sing, but they were trained so well. Were they trained to sing? Does Disney have a, you know, secret laboratory where it's created lions and uh, lions that can, you know, talk? And of course not, but, you know, just having those thoughts. It's like, wow, this is amazing. And unusual as well that we have yet to get... uh, I'm just remembering having seen the latest Blade Runner, or the Blade Runner sequel, and... There, there was this one moment where it was um, a human being was CGI. And, and part of me was I was going, oh, well, they're a replicant, um, which is like an artificial human. But I, I, wanted, I wanted immersion. And there was another... There was, there was another option that they could have gone. They could have used the original actor and or actress and, and they, they chose not to. But I thought it would... Like the, the character's name, Rachel uh, from the original movie and then Sean, oh, that was her name, the actress's name. Uh, I can't remember the last name. But that was an example where I, you know, we're, I'm, I'm still stuck with, I, I know that it's a human being. But we're close. Another way of doing it that's had more success is you say take take the face and then you lay it over top of I'm, I'm just thinking of Lord of the Rings where they, they would do like almost like a collage where they would cut out the actors so they would have two shots and they would have shots with um, little actors in costume, and then they would have shots with the uh, larger actors, and two, the, the, the main actors. I guess the, the little actors would be body doubles. But that the face would be taken digitally and um, like a mask over the the body double 
and there's an interesting sort of small documentary about forced perspective that there's ways to manipulate it so it um, because the the hobbits and the Lord of the Rings movies and the later Hobbit movies that it was it was about suggesting that they're quite small that they're the size of children young children but still wanting to use uh, the the grown uh, the grown actors right it's, uh, the grown actors <laughs> I mean large actors rather than the the, the little the shorter actors Hi. but let's go down to the other street with a couple of loops in coming up with content for the local convention for their uh, Facebook page I found myself uh, I chose a theme for uh, one of the days I was thinking uh, puppets a couple years ago the theme for the convention was The theme for the convention was go uh, puppets and marionettes, and they had the son of I think it's Jerry Anderson, who was the the uh, the spearhead for. Just trying to remember the name. Marionette science fiction uh, in the UK. Uh, and he had done a number of shows, of course, collaborating with others, but he was the, the front man, the front guy, the lead. So his, uh, his son was at the local convention a couple of years ago. So I, I just chose to return to that and as a theme for content uh, for one of the days coming up. And so I picked, oh, I found myself going back to the puppets that I grew up with, uh, like say, on television. I, I just remembered one of the classic British uh, puppet shows is uh, Punch and Judy, and that's got a long and interesting history. If you haven't seen Punch and Judy, it still exists. I saw a live performance when I was a kid with, I think, a, a wazzle, and it's this kind of um, what's it called? You know those. Uh, pipes, they're covered with a bit of um, like wax paper, and they make a a sort of humming, a loud humming sound. But anyways, so the the professor, as the puppeteer is known for Punch and Judy, uh, has a wazzle for sort of has in his mouth, and or her mouth, why not? And uh, so the, the punch doll, which has this huge hook nose, is dressed up like a jester, rosy cheeks. Um, but that punch, which uh, comes from Punchinello, has originally Italian origins. Uh, <laughs> the the frustration of uh, people coming home and setting off their security alarm. Everyone's standing around a bit dazed. So Punch 
Punch ha- carries around, he's dressed up like a jester, carries around uh, a stick and is, uh, is beating everybody up. Uh, he hits his wife, he hits the policeman, he hits, I can't remember if, there, if there's a doctor. There's all kinds of characters, puppets, and variations. So, uh, say different professors will use a different selection. It's brutal. Uh, kids, you know, at least you say the shows that I saw. And then I've, I've seen a bunch of videos of, of, say, kids watching and, you know, say professors doing their thing. Uh, there's this concern, though, because, because of the violence, which I think speaks to the culture of the day. That's my own interpretation that I suspect too that we've we've always questioned uh, that you know that there's always somebody who's going to stand up and say, "Isn't this kind of a bad thing?" You know, to be showing kids. Going against the whole notion of it was better in the old days. I was like, no, I think it was probably pretty much the same. Which then, though, is not true. I, I'm just thinking of examples. I was like, well, what about this and that? Remember before civil rights? It's like, oh, right, yeah, okay, good point. Uh, who knows if uh, Punch's days are numbered, or say that, you know, Punch um, uh, is the narrative going to shift to, you know, that Punch has to go to um, therapy, um, like for rage, for lashing out. Uh, it's it, it's interesting to see. It's interesting to think about. Um, there's the question of do we do away with it or you know is there a way to salvage it is it better to sort of have it shown but also say look what happens you know if if you do this and there is an element of that that punch the character I think that that is ultimately what is going on because there is a question of morality. Uh, Depending on the professor, uh, a puppet of the devil might show up, or a a puppet of death might show up. Uh, The police definitely show up, but again, it depends on the professor. But I think that there's this opportunity that in the violence that there's also this moral, um, I want to say something like education, you know, that if you're a violent person, that this is what is going to happen, this is what, that it's not a good thing that happens. I think it's a crocodile, that's another one of the puppets. The ones that I've seen, there's a string of sausages that plays a role and for, you know, for as bad as punch is, there's worse. Like there's, uh, is there worse? <laughs> ah, it's a tough one. I, I'm 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 almost thinking of a comparison might be uh, cartoons, violent cartoons. Uh, such as Tom and Jerry, or uh, the Roadrunner with Wiley e. Coyote is trying to kill the uh, Roadrunner, and you know it ends up all of you know these slapstick uh, situations. So there's a, there's a good question there of 
uh, of where we are. I've spoken before of um, violence, violent narrative, and things say like uh, revenge fantasies, where where the climax of the show is to you know destroy your enemy, not make peace. The enemy is so bad that we've got to wipe them out or at least defeat them. Just jumping over to uh, writing for a moment. Characters are puppets. Characters allow us to say things that we can't or won't. Uh, We feel we should not. We've been told that. We've seen examples. And we want to be... um, (laughs) We don't want to be... Most of us don't want to be deviants. And we don't want to be outcasts. Somehow, you know, find some way to plug into the culture and have a purpose, etc., etc., etc. It sort of brings me back to sublimation and the act of, say, taking this subconscious uh, garbage and turning it into gold. Is there some way that we can be... um, uh, And two, I'm finding that for my own situation. It's like, well how do I do this thing? You know, how do I exist? Uh, I have th- I have this problem. Is there an outlet? Yes. Creativity. But I still find myself questioning uh, what I'm doing. And say, as I'm talking about it, did, did that say me kind of putting things together? It's a weird situation because you go, well, wait a second. Is violence wrong? Yes. Uh, But ought not we show it to illustrate? Um, Or the argument of catharsis? Uh, is, is Is it relevant? Is it necessary to sort of give an outlet for it? You know that we're wa- we're walking around pent up Neanderthals, really. Uh, we are trained animals. Outrageous! How can you say such a thing, boss? We'll just you know take a bunch of kids, dump them off in the wilderness, and see what happens. Without, you know, or with, say, barely. Like, of course, you'd have to figure out a way to, um, you know, fed. That's the thing. It would be, it would be ethically horrible to do such a thing. So, I retract that example. Or say things like um, wolf children, right? Kids that are raised by animals. We're different, but but there's so much that we rely on via culture, uh, via language. Even, you know, say, being held, right? Being held, being cared for. Uh, all that, all of that, that's imprinted on us. But take that away, and you know, we are not. We're not human. All of the socialization, social skills, communication skills. And along come puppets. So puppets. 
puppets can assist. Puppets can help us out with... I'm, I'm just thinking even of my own situation and my communication with my unicorn sock puppet. And just how interesting it is to me, intriguing, that that there's a there's a different voice, a different way of being versus how I am and just how easy it is say when I'm allowing it and there's a kind of an, an interesting notion of being two or more uh, identities I'm sure you've seen videos or shows or even movies where somebody is doing some form of puppetry, some kind of, um, like, that, say, a ventriloquist can be right there and they can be moving their mouth, but the audience, the, the viewer, invests the character, the puppet, with this. Uh, identity with this life that they they read into it and that there's this there's this entertainment going on and and this brings me back to also for the performer that there's this therapy that's going on that they're allowed to sort of release this uh, built up pressure But, in entertainment, that there has to be, that it, ha that it has to be entertaining. Does it have to be, if that's what it's supposed to be, uh, for myself, I'm, I'm reassessing the purpose, say, for writing. I know that I'm, I will always write. I get such a kick out of it, but I'm reassessing, say, um, the how of it. I'm thinking of, I'm thinking of all of the the glorious indie, independent self-publishers. Who these so these self-publishers, and two they might not even go the route of identifying that way, but that they they put the stuff out there, and so perhaps you'll stumble over a gem, and perhaps it will just happen to be uh, well written. What does that mean? That it connects, and that it's entertaining and it has a theme that it's arguing and on and on and on the characters have arcs and you know there's a setup development and payoff all over the place uh, because it does happen right you get just sort of naturally organic just that these things happen But also, too, that, that we have people that don't, right? That we have people that write things that aren't pleasurable and aren't entertaining, uh, and yet they, um, that they have this role, they have this purpose. Part of the whole Punch and Judy um, experience is tradition. You know, that the professor and the audience, but, you know, the professor uh, is working off of experiences from the past that they've had. And um, for them, they're connecting with a nostalgia. For the adults that are bringing their children, allowing their children to experience the Punch and Judy, they have a nostalgia. Oh, yes, I remember this. Twenty... 50 years ago, maybe more, 
and even the adults will sit there and be reminded of uh, their golden age. And by golden age, I'm talking about, you know, 12 years old, 13, 12, let's say 12, 12 years old. Uh, checking the time, slowly whittling away the seconds. So puppets have power. There's that phrase, the, the, the hand that rocks the cradle rules the world. Perception is shaped. Part of it has to do with, say, early childhood development. And, you know, what is set in front of one as, um, you know, how to occupy your time. I remember one term was the electronic babysitter, which was used to describe television. Uh, and part of that was my experience. I can remember watching The Friendly Giant. I can remember watching um, also too, which had a kind of forced perspective that we're supposed to believe that here's this, you know, normal guy. He looks normal, but uh, that <laughs> that he's a giant. And also, though, it makes sense when you're a kid because you're surrounded by giants. Uh, adults are giants. But on the friendly giant, there was a lot of uh, puppets. Rusty, Jerome, the two main puppets. And then, uh, just off the top of my head, there were two raccoon puppets who played music. They didn't talk. And it was uh, Patty and Polly, I think. And they, uh, they're musical. Then there was uh, Mr. Dressup who had two puppets, Casey and Finnegan, and um, Casey was a little boy with all the questions, a puppet, and then the other puppet, Finnegan, was this uh, dog who didn't talk, but there was a lot of body language. And then the other one that I really remember was Mr. Um, Mr. Rogers, Mr. Rogers' Neighborhood, The Land of Make-Believe, with, you know, there's a whole, there was, there was a fantasy world, there were um, all kinds of puppets and um, different voices. But I'm just thinking in, in all of those examples that there's this, there's this effort to communicate. Uh, to communicate, indoctrinate, um, you know, you're, you're getting, you're picking up things, messages, rules, rules of engagement, just, you know, how you're supposed to behave, how you're supposed to be. I can remember a couple of run-ins with people over the years where it was definitely the case of that, I, that I'm playing this role and sometimes too over the top that, that I really um, it'd be just so nice to be sort of calm about it it, it just seems like it, things get explosive, that you'll be in a situation where uh, someone else isn't sort of, say, following these rules or they're questioning these rules or breaking out of these rules. 
and right now I'm thinking, it's like, wow, maybe they didn't watch those shows or maybe and to, maybe I'm wrong about you know the message that's being conveyed. One one big flip around though is is the the contrast of what is considered entertainment. That the uh, the, the brutality is is absent, you know, versus uh, adult entertainment where where we have this brutality. And it really is kind of these two different worlds, two different identities. And, and, and when people talk, oh, it was a, it was a kinder time. And it's like, well, I think it was more of a, it was a kinder identity, but that it's, it's not gone. And it's, uh, it's still, those seeds are still sown, proliferated. Uh, kindness, bottom line, all of the shows that I mentioned, you know, that that's a, that's a big deal. Right. So once again, we've we've made it. We've gone over the hurdle, and we're on the other side. Thanks for listening, and take care.